Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads that I'm looking at right now. Yeah, and uh, any dads who are watching this later online, we love dads here at Connection. I'm a dad. I have two beautiful daughters. Um, I personally think, and some of you who are dads can agree with this or not, uh, having daughters is the best. And it's like playing a, a video game in expert mode. Any of the other dads are kind of, you're afraid to raise your hand, some of you. But it's a very good thing. Whether And there's something, all of us have dads, and we understand this, that you've either experienced it or you've seen it. There's something that dad brings to the table and brings to a family that it's just great that God gave us this. Kind of like this video. Watch this dad in his house. When dad plays, everybody wants to turn. And that's what dads bring to the table. And we love the dads here at Connection. And we want to give you an opportunity today to just, I invite you, all of us have dads, say a prayer of thanks to, to God for your father. Whether you know who that is or you have a great relationship with him or not, um, at least give thanks to God for your dad, if you can do that. I get it, the Father's Day can be complicated for a lot of people. It's, it's a time where you maybe have a great relationship with your dad, but your dad is no longer with us. Or maybe your relationship with your dad or your children is strained, and that complicates things. It could be that you want to be a dad and it's just not happening. It could be maybe that you're raising someone else's children, or you are a dad and you're just like, I'm not sure if I'm doing this right or if I'm completely messing my kids up, and you struggle with the insecurity that comes along with that. Maybe you're dealing with, as I said, the absence or loss of a father figure in your life. Uh, whatever it is, God sees you, guys. And we see you. And we believe in you. And we just want to help each other become what God has intended all of us to be. So I'm really glad you're here today or watching online again. That's a great step in the right direction. Another thing is you're in the, here. We are in this series called Believe. And we're just trying to figure out for all of us, men and women, what does it look like to get into the process where God takes us from where we are and where he wants us to be? What are we becoming? And through this series, we started back in the winter looking at what is it that Christians believe? What are the teachings that are just core and essential? And you can go back and watch those on our church website, connectionchristian.org, or watch the podcast on iTunes. And you'll see some of those basic beliefs that we dove into about God and Jesus and the Bible and salvation and eternity. Now, in the section that we'll get into in the fall, the third section is about those virtues that God is trying to develop in all of our lives. And the linkage between what we believe and who we become is what we're talking about right now in this section in the summer. And it's about our practices. What are those things that, that Jesus taught us to do and that he himself did to bring uh, what we believe into like the full character of Christ. And we talked about last week how worship is the foundational thing. Everybody worships something. God wants us to worship him, and we need to worship him, and we worship God for who he is and what God has done and what he has promised to do, and we give him the credit and the glory and the enthusiastic applause and the praise for that, and it, it starts to help us get our life oriented around the right things and the best things. Now today, this will probably come as no surprise to you, people who are trying to become more like Jesus and move towards God need to pray. And you, a simple definition of prayer that I've just always found to be really helpful to me, and maybe this will work for you, is that prayer is the conversation between you and God about things that you both care about. You're welcome to write that down. I think it's actually on your worship folder if you want to just look at that. It's a conversation, which means there's a time when you talk and God listens to you. Then you switch, and God speaks to you, and you listen. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like. Part of that entails this, and we'll get into that next week and uh, look at how we listen to what God's saying to us. But uh, 
we want to pray. Now, I don't know if this is your experience or not, but I know that a lot of people have told me they've done the prayer roller coaster, and I've certainly lived that myself. There's times in my life where I'm praying a lot every day, and there's times in my life where I'm not praying so much. Anybody else kind of feel like that? Like, I know that one thing has really given a boost to my prayer life, and maybe this is true for you too. When I go into difficult times, when things get me stressed out, or I don't know what to do, or I'm really disappointed about something, my prayers occur with greater frequency. Anybody else? Yeah. You ever find yourself throwing up a 911 prayer to God? It's like, come on, I need some help here. It's interesting, a few, uh, not too long ago, a Dutch astronaut was on the International Space Station and accidentally dialed 911 from the space station. I didn't know you could do that, but it did. His name's Andres Cooper, and he was up there, and they actually have a phone line that goes down to Command Central in Houston. And you can imagine how hard it would be to dial an iPhone when you're floating in space. So to dial out, to get an outside line, you dial nine, and then to get, that gets you the outside line for space, and then you have to dial zero, one, one to get the international line. And when he dialed it, he accidentally left the zero out, so he just dialed nine, one, one. But he didn't realize he'd done that. People in Houston didn't realize that he had done that either until uh, all these emergency responders showed up at the Houston Space Center going, where's the fire? And they traced it down in the call. They traced it to the room the phone call actually came into. And then they figured out what, the, what had happened and said, oh, you know, he, Andre dialed 911 from space. So they sent him an email and said, everything okay up there? You sent a 911 request. And he said, okay, I don't know what's worse, that I can dial 911 from space or that you guys didn't show up. <laughs> kind of nice to think because I, in my lifetime, if any of you can hook me up with this, this'd be great. I want to go to space. I want to go to the moon. I wouldn't mind to go to Mars. It's a little bit longer, but if you can hook that up for me, that'd be great. And I'm glad to know I can dial 911 if I need it. It's there. You ever find yourself throwing up a 911 prayer to God when things are getting really desperate? Father, I need some help. Somebody who once did that, and you're going to want to grab one of these because we're going to go look at a person who prayed a desperate 911 prayer. He prayed it about 2,700 years ago. Real historical person. You want to start finding the book of Isaiah in your Bible. Uh, the, the man who prayed this prayer was Hezekiah. He was a very important person. He, his title was King Hezekiah, King of Judah in the Judean Empire. And uh, Isaiah 30, just first of all, the whole book of Isaiah is the writings and the preaching of Isaiah the prophet. And it's a lot of prophecies, some of which were future-oriented. He prophesied about Jesus. But there are little sections within it where it's just historical. He just tells about what was going on in his time. And this is one of those sections, if you find Isaiah 36 and 37, it describes a time when the Assyrian army has invaded Judah. And you've probably heard of the Assyrians if you've had world history already in class, in school. The Assyrians were at this time led by King Sennacherib. And we do know about him and about this whole time in their Assyrian kingdom from places other than the biblical record. And this is historical, but there are other uh, things that we found in the archaeological record that, that lend credence to this. This actually happened. So what happened is, as you go through Isaiah 36, you find the Assyrians have swept through Israel. They've come into Judah. They have now laid siege to the capital city of Jerusalem. King Sennacherib has taken everyone, just, uh, and just they're, they're gone. They're decimated. It's a brutal thing. If you, I don't know if you remember anything about the Assyrians. They uh, practiced a very brutal form of warfare. You did not want to see them coming. And they've, now they've rolled up to the walls of Jerusalem. And this is a first-hand account. So you go down, and he uh, had a methodology that he would use. He would try to intimidate people into just not even fighting. So if you go down to Isaiah 37, 10, and 11, he had sent a letter to the leadership in the city of Jerusalem. 
This message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well what the kings of Assyria have done wherever they've gone. They've completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Now, why should you be any different? Have the gods of other nations rescued them, such as the nations of Gozan, Haran, or, you know, he just smack-talking. Smack you know, my predecessors destroyed them all. You know, and he just goes on. He's like, you guys just need to give up right now. Just go ahead and open the gates, and we'll just, you know, we'll kill some of you, but we won't kill all of you. Just go ahead and do that. Now, if you're King Hezekiah, try to put yourself in this position to not only have your own life that you're worried about, not only your family, you have the life of an entire kingdom that is looking to you to do something. And this is your responsibility to bear that weight on your shoulders must have been incredible. And everybody's thinking, Hezekiah, what is your strategy? How are we going to get out of this alive? How are we going to get out of this? Forget about victory, just how do we escape? Well, Hezekiah took a very great tactic, actually. If you look down in verse 14, after Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple, spread it out before the Lord. There you go, God. What are we going to do about this? Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. This is an awesome prayer. I'm just going to go ahead and go through it with you. So he said to God, O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down now, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. It's, he's saying, here, read it, God. This is what he's saying about you. It's true, Lord. The kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, and they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. <laughs> of course the Assyrians could destroy them. They're, only, they're not gods at all. They're only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. It's a great prayer, isn't it? It's like, God, your reputation is on the line, and I'm trusting you. This is a desperate 911 prayer, and it worked. <laughs> God listened to him. He sent Isaiah the prophet, Hezekiah. I want you to go tell King Hezekiah this. This is verse 33 of chapter 37. Okay, this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside its gates with their shields, nor build banks of earth against its walls. The king will return to his own country by the same road he came in on. He will not enter this city, says the Lord. For my own honor and for the sake of my servant David, I, God says, I will defend this city and protect it. And what happened is also recorded in history. There was a, a stone that was dug up by archaeologists that records this whole military campaign by the Assyrians. And it was actually at the Field Museum in Chicago, or maybe it was the University of Chicago. You could go see it. And it records the same thing just from the Assyrian perspective. But here's what happened. Verse 36, that night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp, returned to his own land. He went to home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. You know what the uh, Assyrians' explanation was for what happened? We had a disease that went through the camp, and we lost 185,000 soldiers, so we decided that it would be more smart to go home. Well, that's some disease, 185,000 dead in one night. And this is an awesome response. And this isn't even the, the only time that God came through 
for King Hezekiah. You can go ahead and read into chapter 38, and it talks about how during this whole time, while this drama is going on, Hezekiah got a message from Isaiah that said, you got a message from God. You are going to die. You need to get your affairs in order because you're out of here. Hezekiah said, thanks, Isaiah. Isaiah left, and he turned to the wall on his bed, and he started weeping, and he started praying to God. God says to Isaiah while he's heading home, hey, I've heard Hezekiah's prayer. I've decided to give him an answer. And so you go back um, to verse 4 of Isaiah 38. This message came to Isaiah from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I'm going to add 15 years to your life. How about that? Except I'm looking at you, and you may have the same question that I have. Hezekiah, that's awesome. You got two amazing 911 prayers answered. You are just like doing something right. Why does that not always happen? You ever prayed a desperate prayer and and God did not come through for you like God came through for Hezekiah and you wonder why? Like, am I doing something wrong? Am I praying the wrong prayer? Am I not a good person? You know, there's times when you pray something and God doesn't even answer your prayer the way that you want. Like, it doesn't even make sense to you why he does what he does or doesn't do. And, um, and I, here's the thing that I think we need to understand about it. This happens to really good people. If you were to go back, and, did you notice there how David, or how um, God referred to Hezekiah? He's a descendant of King David. And if you, you have to go back like 11 greats, like David was Hezekiah's great, 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 11 grandpa. And David was a great man, a godly man, a man after God's own heart. He was the second king of Israel, and he was the king that all other kings were measured by. Now listen to this, what happened in David's life, you know, maybe 150 years before. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16. David has got a newborn son in his family. The kids just barely in the world, and he's sick. And David begged God to spare the child, and David went without food, and he lay all night on the bare ground. And then on the seventh day, what happened to that baby? The baby died, a seven-day-old baby. And he prayed a desperate 911 prayer for that baby. How is it that his descendant Hezekiah prays two prayers and gets 15 years added to his life? And it only makes sense to me that you would save a little baby, and that baby dies. What's going on here? Look what David did, though, in that situation. Uh, 2 Samuel 12, 20, David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, changed his clothes. He then went to the tabernacle, and he worshiped God, and he prayed. And after that, he returned to the palace, and he was served food, and he ate. And I, I have such a hard time wrapping my mind around this. Maybe you do, too. As a dad, I think, how could you do that? But his first response is to go to God in the midst of everything that was happening, and he prayed and he worshiped God. And I think about that and I think, well, how do I reconcile these two things? One person prays and they get an answer. One person prays and they get a no. And I wonder if David maybe knew something about God and about prayer and our relationship with him that we don't always think about or maybe don't even know. And it's just a question for you to think about. What if prayer is something more than just asking God for stuff, for things we need, even things that we need desperately? You know, this conversation we're having, these requests that we bring before God, what if there's more going on to it than just asking God for stuff? I, um, I want you to just maybe write this down or just think about this. You, you don't have to agree with this, but I just want to put this out there. What if prayer is more than just asking God for what you need? What if prayer is more than giving God his to-do list for the day? 
I'm not trying to make you think poorly of God. He's a father who loves you. I just wonder if sometimes we let that evolve into God as the Santa Claus in the sky, and I, I write my list, and I give it to him, and it's his job to just check everything off, to think of God as the genie in the bottle, and we're in Aladdin, and where's my three wishes? We don't ever want to get into that mindset where God is a vending machine, and if I put the right coins in, I put the right prayers in, and I get to church enough times, and I do enough good things that he's obligated to do exactly what I think he should do, as if I know more than God what the right thing to do in any situation is. I'm just something to think about. What if prayer isn't just asking God all the time for what we need? What if there's something else going on there? If it's not that, then what is it? And I think that's a, a good time for me to remind you that we are talking about how we take what we believe and move it into our lives, into what we become. In that context, prayer is a spiritual discipline that helps us become more like Jesus. It's a tool that God uses to shape our lives. And as, so if that's really true and I'm right about that, the key question is not, how do I pray in a way that gets God to give me what I want? Really, the question becomes, how do I pray in a way that helps me grow? How do I grow up and become mature as I have this conversation with God? And that's honestly, a better question to ask. And that leads me to our key idea for today. Randy Frazee wrote this whole series, and he expresses it this way, and I love this. The key idea is, when I pray, I pray to God, first of all, because I want to know him. I want to know more about him. And when I pray, I pray to seek God's guidance for my life. And then, yes, when I pray, I am also asking him for what I need. I'm laying my request before him. Let me just break those few things down, because that's where this really gets practical for us today, to think about what am I doing when I'm praying. The first thing is, I do pray to God to get to know him better. And I would just say this to you. If you're in a time right now where you're struggling and it's difficult for you, you need to find Psalm 77 in your Bible. This will become your friend. I would invite you to take this and just make it your prayer. Just read it as if it's your prayer to God. Because the person who wrote this was really struggling. I don't know if it was depression. I don't know if it was family struggles or financial issues or just, uh, you know, just that whole thing of, I just know where my life is going. Somehow he was going through some difficult times, and he prayed a very honest prayer, and it's amazing. Uh, so you look like um, verse 1 and 2. I cry out to God. Yeah, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. Maybe you can relate to this. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan. I'm overwhelmed with longing for his help. You go down to verse 9. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? You ever felt like that? I mean, it just reminds you it's okay to be honest with God in your prayers. Be respectful, but be honest. He already knows what you're thinking anyway. That's a, that's a whole new level to prayer when you just are completely honest in your conversation. And he welcomes that from you. And I love what, um, what is interesting about this. When you read this whole prayer, it's not like he's really asking God to fix the problem. Uh, it, it's like he's spending more time, he's laying his problem out before God, but then he spends some time thinking about who God is, like in verse 11 and verse 12. But then I recall all you've done, O oh Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds long ago. They're constantly in my thoughts. I can't stop thinking about your mighty works. Does God need to be reminded of all the things that he has done and promised to do? Or do we need to remind ourselves? 
This goes hand in hand with what worship is. Worship and prayer are so close to one another because we need to remind ourselves who God is, that he's a good father, that he is loving, that he is gracious, that he is patient. And we need to remind ourselves of the things that God has done so that we can remember that he's also promised to do other good things. And this is what goes on. And he goes on in the rest of the psalm just to list specific things that God had done in his world and for his ancestors. And it's just a great prayer. I like what Frandy Frazee again said about this. He said, we don't need God to change our circumstances as much as we need to remember that God is bigger than our circumstances. I have another hard question for you, but I just have to tell you the truth. Just think about this. What if the only way for you to grow up, to mature, to become more like Jesus, to get rid of some of the things in your life that just don't belong there, the only way for that to happen is for you to go through some of the difficult times that you're going through right now. What if God knows that and loves you and doesn't want you to go through that, but knows this is the only way that he can shape your life into something that both he and you agree, this is what I want to become. What do you do in the meantime? If that's true, you pray these prayers and you trust that when you're doing that, God is using it to shape you and he's helping you get to know him better and when you know God better and you start thinking like God you start to figure out a little bit I don't know that we'll know everything on this side of eternity but I think you start to get a hint of why you're going through some of the things you are and you know at the very least that he's going to give you the grace to get through it I've experienced that and if some of you weren't nervous too nervous to do it you could come up here and you could tell a few stories of how God's given you the grace to get through some incredibly difficult times you know, another thing that I talked about here, and, and that is that when we pray, we're also looking for God's guidance. I just want to know what I should be doing next through whatever this thing is. And I'll tell you, somebody who set a great example for this, us in that is Jesus. And one of the things that I've run into with people is that we have these misperceptions about what Jesus was like when he was a human being. I, I don't know if you feel this way, and I'm just going to push against a little bit of what you might think Jesus was like. I think some of us think that Jesus was three years old and able to talk about quantum physics you know, at a superior level. When Jesus left heaven and became a human being, he became a human being. He emptied himself of all of that knowledge and that power, which means he had to grow up just like we did. Do you ever think of him like that? He was a 12-year-old kid who had to learn multiplication tables, he, or however old we are when we learn that. Some of you still haven't learned that, right? He, the, Luke chapter 2 says that Jesus grew in wisdom. He went to school. He learned things. He had to read the Bible to learn things, just like we do. He grew in stature. He got bigger. He got pimples. He was a normal kid. He grew in favor with God and man, which means he, he did social things. He learned how to treat his mom, and he learned, you know, what a great thing it was to go to, a, a, like, a wedding party, and he understood what it was like to go to a funeral. He grew up in every way that we do. What I'm telling you is then that Jesus experienced life like we do, and he gained wisdom like we do, and he gained guidance from his Father like we do, and that was he prayed. And if you think I'm wrong about that, listen to this. There's a time when Jesus got up at oh dark 30 to go pray because he'd been healing people the entire night before. He was incredibly popular at this moment. Most people would have looked at it and said, he needs to just stay put there because the crowds are enormous. But after he prayed all night, he walked back to his disciples and said, we need to go somewhere else. The disciples were like, what? Everybody's looking for you. Yeah, we need to go somewhere else because I've got other places I need to preach. There was another time Jesus prayed all night before he chose the 12 disciples. 
He was seeking his father's input and wisdom and guidance before he chose the 12. He prayed all night after he fed the 5,000. He prayed and prayed and prayed when he got word that his cousin John the Baptist had been executed in prison. He spent, what did he do the night before he died? Besides eating a last dinner with his disciples. He prayed in a garden. He prayed a desperate prayer. Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way to save these people than me dying and going through the bearing the sin of the world, let's do that. And it was in that prayer that Jesus gained guidance and strength and set his face like stone to go through what he went through on Friday. I'm telling you, if Jesus needed to pray to seek God's guidance, who are we to say we don't? James 1.5 says this. This is so good. If you need wisdom, here's what you do. Ask our generous God. He'll, he'll give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking. God will never scorn you because you say, God, I don't know what to do. I need your wisdom and guidance. How does this work practically? What I don't want you to get the idea is that if you're praying that suddenly you're going to get so dialed in, you're going to start hearing audible voices from God. I don't know if that'll happen for you or not. It's never happened for me. Um, some of you might be thinking I'm not very spiritual then if it doesn't, but in my experience, that's just not how it works. What I have found is when I'm praying and more open to what God is trying to say to me, the Holy Spirit of God makes things clear to me through that prayer, through things that I read in the Bible that maybe I would never have seen otherwise, but exposing myself to that. Sometimes it's through a conversation I have with one of you or somebody else that I trust who's a mature Christian and God speaks through the you. Uh, sometimes it's just me sitting and being still over a long period of time, just waiting for God to guide me. Sometimes it's trying things and find out, nope, that's not where God wants me to go. I'm saying that when you pray, you're going to be more open to what God's trying to tell you. I'm not saying you'll hear an audible voice, so don't feel inferior or insecure if you don't hear the voice of God. Um, you know, if God does speak to you, I'm not dismissing that or anything. It just it's never happened for me. Uh, I will say, though, Man, and maybe you have too. I have experienced something that I just feel like very clearly this is God wanting me to do this, and it's like a spiritual light bulb goes off. And um, I've, sometimes I felt a peace about things that I can't even explain. There's times that I just understand something on a level. I'm not smart enough to figure this out. God showed it to me. And maybe you've experienced that well, as well. I need to wrap this up. Uh, there's a third reason we pray. And there's a reason I put this third. We do pray to lay our requests before God. I put it third because that's the default that everybody thinks of. When you think prayer, do you not think I'm asking God for things I need? And that's honestly part of it, but I wanted to get the idea across, first of all, that we try to do other things in our prayer other than just ask God for things. Um, sometimes we don't even know what to ask for when we pray. And it's a great thing to know that the Holy Spirit of God is taking our prayers and he's like adding to it. So that's fantastic. Uh, but I think that we make more sense out of praying for what we need when we actually know what God is like because we ask for better things. But don't ever be afraid to ask God for what you need. Even if you're afraid it might be wrong, at least have the conversation. Because that's what any kid would do with their parents, right? That's what Jesus taught us. He said, when you pray, you pray, Father in heaven. And so what Jesus is trying to tell us is the, the way to understand your relationship with God is to understand, just look at any good dad with his kids and that's what God wants to have with you. And little kids will ask for anything, don't they? No, that's what I think God would say, just err on the side of asking me and we'll figure it out later. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Here's what you do. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. And 1 Peter 5, 7, this is a great verse. You ought to underline this. You ought to memorize this. Give God all your worries and cares because God cares for you. Cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. You know, you might say, well, I just don't know how to do this whole dad thing. I feel really insecure about that. 
You should be talking to God about that. You might find yourself in a situation you don't know what to do financially or at work or with somebody in person. You say, I don't know what to do with this. I don't even know what to do next. It's just a mess. You should be talking to your father about that. You might say, there's something I'm not talking to anybody about, but there's an addiction in my life and I thought I had it under control and I thought it was all good, but it's really kind of spiraling out of control. You should be talking to your father about that. And then you should be asking him to show you some other person, whether it's in this church or in your life, somebody that you can trust to be that other person that you share that with as well. And you may just say, well, I just don't even know where to go next. You should be talking to God about that. Here's the bottom line. God wants you to engage in this conversation. You need to engage in this conversation. It will change you when you engage in this conversation.